Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast. I know so many of you listening to this show love your local bar, your local restaurant, maybe your local hotel, and have so many fond memories of time in hospitality businesses. This is the podcast where we get to chat to the human beings behind the scenes of that industry. Maybe the chefs or the bakers or the coffee roasters or the gin distillers or the craft brewers or the entrepreneurs, but all doing an amazing job of making sure that hospitality stays interesting and the big dull formulaic brands do not take over our high street please enjoy the show In this week's podcast, I am joining Andy Lennox, who has been an exceptionally busy boy. Uh, Andy started his career as a kitchen porter back in the day, peeling potatoes, but at only 21 years of age, he teamed up with a couple of friends and created Ko Thai, a restaurant in Boscombe, Dorset, offering authentic Thai cooking with a South of France style of service. And as Andy puts it, they knew literally nothing and learned on the trot, only realising six months in that perhaps a till system would be better than a piece of paper when relaying orders between the kitchen and the bar. But very, very quickly, the pace picked up into a gallop as Co Thai took off and 11 more Co's opened in Dorset, Hampshire and Somerset. It was great, but there were definitely growing pains as you are going to discover, like the fact that the deal is never sealed until the signature is on the dotted line, particularly when big amounts of money are involved. But I join Andy 10 years on into his next concept, Zimbrai, all about earthy, smoky, slow-cooked oxtail, wild boar and poikies, bunny chows, curries in a bun and bries, barbecues that bring people together. I hope your mouth is watering, mine certainly is. Please enjoy this week's conversation. Andy Lennox, thank you so much uh, for inviting me to your place, or at least uh, agreeing when I kind of knocked on the door and hassled you and say, hey, can I come down and have a look? Um, Really cool venue. Can you just explain to me where we are and how long you've been here? Um, So we're currently now sitting in Zimbabwe, which is um, my new uh, concept, Um, so Southern African. Um, We're basically um, sitting over in the corner, just uh, kind of taking it all in. A nice, good kind of colour palette, quite quite, quite earthy, Um, you know, we've got a really good daytime kind of look as well as in the evening, which obviously, you know, it's really difficult to get that right. Um, that night, that daytime and that evening look. So I'm really, really happy with how it's come, come together so far. Amazing! Congratulations! It looks Thank awesome. You. It smells even better mm, than it. Yeah. There's a way I could describe the smell, but I guess it's that it's that kind of barbecue, yeah, smoky. Well, it's kind just, of... it's, we've, we've got a massive braai in the kitchen, um, and, that, and so basically, a braai is essentially a, a big old barbecue. Um, but it, you know, it has kind of two meanings in Africa. So the first meaning basically being braai. So basically, you know, this big kind of barbecue where you're kind of cooking everything. But the other side of it is um, is to braai essentially, um, and braai means a get together um so everyone gets around a braai they, they, they go to a braai it's like a braai you know bring and braai you know everything about it is basically all this kind of you know get around the barbecue and just be with your friends and your family uh, so those are kind of the, the two things and it's the heart of our kitchen basically and there's all wood in there so it's all kind of wood fired um you know, 12 hour service so basically we, we kind of like light it up at around around 10 30 11 o'clock and then that kind of goes all the way through till 10 30 11 o'clock at night so uh, yeah no, it's just, and that's that, that's a smell that kind yeah. of like a really earthy kind of um you know lovely wood smoke smell yeah with the imagery that's around and that kind of you know south african vibe yeah i could uh, i could be transported away and be sat under the starlight and stuff like yeah. that looking well, into I mean, each we, other's eyes yeah well, <laughs> we, well, well yeah it's like southern african basically so we kind of like gone right well you know we, we, we kind of started in south africa and then we kind of started bringing some 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 other different areas in so mozambique you know kind of mauritius um you know zanzibar um you know tanzania congo our coffees from congo so that kind of southern African kind of vibe basically where basically we've got you know a lot of our decoration has come over from uh, Zimbabwe it's come over from um, uh, South Africa so I've got a big old plane basically to bring it all over I went out there picked it all and then they kind of all came over so you know Zimbabwe basically being you know uh, you know 
a kind of really eclectic place at the moment as well. And you know that kind of where, where obviously the name Zim's come from. So Zimbri basically is 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 it's a great little concept that kind of has allowed us to kind of really really take from all over Southern Africa. Amazing. Yeah, no, it's a really fresh idea. So I want to come back to um, to the details behind this one, but also just to start with to go and kind of you know the story and the journey into hospitality yeah. for you and all that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff, yeah. and then we'll come back very much specifically um, to this one. But it, and it may actually answer this. So you know, I know you got into the industry really really young. You were sort of 21, I think, when you uh, when you opened Co Thai. Um, what was before that? Had you travelled a lot? Is that where you know you've got Co, you've got South African? Had you travelled a lot as a kid? No, well, when, I mean, what, when did you know you were going to go into into this? Yeah, well, I travelled a lot as a kid with the family. Um, so we kind of went all over the world, um, especially with my dad's work and stuff like that. So obviously, been a lot travelling. Um, but actually, I was you know I started. I think my first ever hospitality job was a potato peeler in the local pub. I like basically a KP. Um, and then basically when I went to university, I started kind of like running bars there and doing kind of bar work and kind of was JCR president of my halls and had like a little little cards that basically got discounts for people and stuff like that. So I started kind of like that business kind of thing, you know, around probably must have been 18, basically, as I just got to kind of university. Um, worked through there, kind of managed a bar there for um, for a while, and then basically when I moved over to Bournemouth, and that's when I was kind of 21, just finished university, did history and archaeology, so that really, really helped me um, with the <laughs> restaurant uh, industry and set me up for life there. Um, but actually, you know, it was a really good experience in university, and then basically after that, kind of came here and then started co, well, worked in a couple of bars around here, uh, print rooms, Branksome and Beach, and then basically, you know, ended up um, opening co. So, okay. yeah, 21. Nice, good. Yeah, 10 years ago now, so... Uh, good job you didn't stop at potato peeling. That wasn't the well, highlight exactly. of your well, hospitality yeah, no, destiny. Yeah, there was, there was more work, to be but done. I love, I love being able to turn around to everyone and say, look, you know, when you've got KPs that have come in and they're 16 and they've just mm-hmm. kind of like, they're just starting their jobs or whatever, or they're 15 something, you know, like everyone's just kind of coming in and they're just starting to, you know, find out what they want to do in hospitality. It's a lovely feeling to be able to turn around and say, well, look, like, you know, your CEO or, your, you know, the boss, the big boss, he was, he was a KP, you know, like he's done it. You know, he's worked his way up and I've done every kind of aspect of the business now. So, you know, whether that's bar work, whether that's waiting, whether that's KPing, whether that's kitchen, you know, management, everything. So every single role that I ask any of my staff to do, I've done. Whether that's jumping in a bin, basically, to kind of like get the cardboard down or whether that's cleaning up a toilet when it's all overflowed. You know, everything that I would expect my staff to do, I've done. Yeah, so. I think that's so important. I was chatting to David Sachs about this on, a, on another podcast. Exactly that, that that respect in the kitchen is key, isn't it? There's too many people who maybe come along and or you know, have that dream. They've always wanted to own a restaurant, always want to own a bar I think you need to have kind of gone through it you need to have seen what it's like the, the on, on the cold face to really get the respect because, and buy in from your team because yeah, so. with the hospitality you know it, it's long hours you know it's long hours it's hard work um you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of fun there, and there's a lot of passion, and you need to be passionate about you know doing it. But everybody needs to understand that you know when you're in that kind of you know, you're the trainee assistant manager, and you're working the long hours, and you're doing all the long stuff, and you kind of go, oh, you know, why am I doing this? The pay's not great. You know, it's kind of you know I don't understand why I'm doing it. And then you're kind of sitting there going, well, actually, yeah, but then look at the GM, he's done that, he's gone through that, and actually, no, look where he's on, he's good wage, he's, he's you know he's been, been able to kind of work his hours. You know, that's that that really key to be able to turn around to people and say, well, look, you know if you do work hard, this is where you go. This is where you go. Um, and I'm really, 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 really kind of passionate about basically taking people who are young and then kind of training them through all the different motions of the business to get to where they want. I mean, you know, when, when you know, we'll go, I'm sure we're talking about Co later, but, you know, when we were at Co, I mean, we had... 350 employees um, and you know the vast majority of the of our management team had basically been taken from the floor you know I think you know we had we had managers at 20 GMs at 21 you know it was it was it was crazy I mean our most of uh, my head office team were you know under 30 yeah no I was impressed I think you ha- you have got or you certainly you know did have and I think I'm sure you'll continue to do so you know a really good reputation for that that kind of team development and training people and training people fast which I guess comes back to you starting at 21 you know that's a young age so how, how did it happen so quickly what was the inspiration behind Co and can you just explain how at 21 years old you 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 ended up opening you know only a few hundred meters from me yeah no it's crazy isn't it when you think back to it all yeah. I mean um, I, I think what happened was that you know ultimately there was you know a couple of uh, me and my other business partners and we decided that we wanted to you know kind of do this kind of well, reimagine Thai, basically. I mean, Thai, basically, at the time, traditionally, was kind of very, very family-run, family kind of concept, where, you know, very traditional in the sense of, like, you know, their service style and their look and their feel. And ultimately, at the time, or well, 10 years ago, Thai was in a massive ascendancy. So it was kind of, it was, it was 
let's take this and actually let's put it into a concept and actually, you know, kind of refine it and polish it off and actually serve it to, to, to the British public. And they, then they can actually really, really, I don't know, understand it and, and find that it's an accessible concept. And that's essentially what I love doing is just kind of creating concepts or putting things in front of people that they wouldn't expect normally to have. And actually they go, oh, actually I quite like this. Um, so that's really, really keen. And, you know, with us, I mean, we started 21 and we didn't really, I mean, we, not really, we didn't know anything. Um, I mean, I knew nothing about, you know, accountancy, nothing about kind of finance. Um, I knew, you know, how to serve a restaurant. I knew how to, you know, run a bar. But, you know, running a restaurant and actually then the, 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 the kind of two big things that really happen when you're running restaurants is you realise you're either running a restaurant or you're running a business. You can't, you, you, you can't run both. Um, it's very it's very difficult to kind of explain, but essentially running a restaurant is very different to running a business. I mean, you can run a restaurant and you can do well, but you may not have a second one. You may not have a third one. Um, you know, if you don't understand the concepts behind that business and what makes that business tick, really, really difficult. And, you know, I learned that on the trot, really. I mean, a lot of Google, a lot of books, uh, a lot of trial by error, um, and really, really just kind of just went with, okay, well, actually, you know what? We shouldn't be using paper. We should be using tills. You know, where do we get tills? You know, and it was very much like that. Um, I mean, you think back 10 years now, I mean, but, I mean, we were... I mean, the first six months, I think, you know, maybe maybe even, well, probably six months, you know, we, we had a piece of paper. You know, we had a piece of paper that basically we took orders on, you know, that kind of went to the kitchen one half, the other kitchen went to the bar staff, you know. Um, we didn't really have any kind of inkling or understanding of how to run our business at all. Um, and that, was, that really was basically where I kind of, I suppose, came into my own a little bit, um, is where we actually started going, right, okay, how do I learn this? What do I need to do? You know, I can't use Sage, so let me find a program that I can. So I found Zero, and you know, I suppose Zero ten years ago was very quite quite new. Now everybody's using it, um, and it's like, well, I can understand this, so I start using that, and that was then you know, and then it's everything else. And then we're like, well, okay, well, let's open another restaurant. Okay, how do we do that? We've got no money. I can't get a loan, um, and that was kind of again, you know, we we had no cash when we first started Boscombe. Um, never really had any cash to be fair, but um, you know, then we did Bournemouth, um, and then it was like, okay, well, if we're going to do more what do we do about this how where, you know how do we run a business that basically is going to be running and opening more restaurants you know we, we started to access finance which was great but it's like well okay but how do we train our staff like how do we and i need i need more managers you know i don't want to just keep on employing managers how do i make sure my managers are perfect and this was where and it's kind of snowballing into this big thing um and you're like right okay well i need trainee assistant managers so i need to have a trainee manager in every single restaurant basically training ready for the next one um which was a big cost at the time but it was kind of massively needed and that's how we kind of expanded was like who who were the best guys on the floor? Who want to be management? Uh, where you know can we put them into a restaurant to train? But then also on the flip side, you're going back the other way, and you're going, well, yeah, but I'm taking my best people off the floor. Um, so then you're kind of like, well, okay, I need I need to train my front of house better. I need I need to have three of those guys wanting that training management thing. So it was, yeah, I mean, uh, you go through the motions. You look back over the last ten years, it was crazy the amount of you know things we had to learn yeah and you fast track that and condensed it incredibly and we'll, we'll come back to the business aspect in a minute because i'd like to explore that more but just i also want to start on the on the on the customer journey because mm. very quickly like you say you were trying to introduce something new um what was the what was the customer response and, and were you authentic thai or were you adjusting it for the kind of british market how did that pan no, out? no i mean i suppose it, we weren't authentic in the sense of you know, did I have all of my staff? Were they dressed in tie tie garb and were they going sweaty carp? And you know, were they you know being a traditional Thai server? Um, no, we weren't, and we weren't you know in any way. And that was that was quite you know it was something we deliberately did. Um, we wanted basically British service serving British people. You get that personality, you get that panache. They understand you. They they understand customer service much more. So it was much more of a European service model. You know that kind of south of France. That's what I wanted. That south of France kind of server who really really cared, um, but could also understand you and get that and, and, and understand where you you know, might not understand the menu or whatever. Um, but in the kitchen very very authentic and it was it was you know we had like 85 ties by the end and generally speaking i think we had like maybe three or four um, in the whole course of the of the history of Kai that weren't actually tired um and we didn't really play i mean we we kind of turned around and said right okay well can we do this in this format so that basically it's easier so obviously the whole tie tapas thing um 
but again, Thai tapas was not, it was a new concept in the name, but not a new concept in, in, in serving Thai food, because that's exactly how Thai food has always been served, um, which, was, which was quite hilarious in a lot of ways, because you're sitting there kind of going, well, yeah, we have called it Thai tapas, and, you know, Thai tapas is a, in a really cool concept, and it's got really strong legs, but actually, it's actually probably more authentic than going to a traditional Thai restaurant where they're serving a starter main and, and dessert, because um, actually in Thailand, everybody just kind of, you know, you, you'll have mum, mum, dad, you know, brother and sister all cooking the dish in the kitchen and then actually at the end of it it's like all put down on the table and everyone just digs in and actually if you go to any of the restaurants over in Thailand like the actual traditional kind of like on the street places it's just okay what do you want and everything just arrives as and when it does and everyone just digs in and you know everyone just shares um, so that whole sharing concept basically was is, was new to the UK but not new to Thai so yeah Thai food we, we our, our, the authenticity in our kitchen we, we were very kind of key that it had kind of three things really that you know one that basically we would serve it fiery so we would know we wouldn't dole down the flavors too much now obviously you know you're not going to have a beef spice noodles in you know in a co um like you'll have a beef spice noodles at a thai person's house um so it is a bit doled down but it was much 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 more robust than a lot of places were doing at the time um, we weren't going to, you know, compromise on ingredients. So all of our ingredients were coming, you know, in on a, on a plane from Thailand. A lot of the kind of like the, the more Thai aspects of it, um, and and we were and we were going to be very very key that we would have British run a house and British personality and 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 a, and a really cool look and a really nice feel. But we'd have, um, you know, we'd have Thais in the kitchen. Amazing. And it looked like the customers appreciated it. It, it. it seemed to take off from day one. Was that the case? Yeah. I, I, well, uh, yeah, I think I think it did. I mean, it, it was one of those things where the first six months were kind of trial by error. I don't think we even had a menu when we first started. It literally was a piece of paper which we printed. I mean, and the funny thing is, my actually my wife, you know, in the first the first ever menus in car were designed and made in my flat by my wife. The painstakingly cutting out. The, uh, the codes from the business cards and then sticking them onto pieces of cardboard and then sticking them onto strings and stuff like that. Um, and that was amazing, actually. I mean, when you kind of think back to it, like it was painstakingly, like hundreds of lease menus. Um, and we, you know, we just printed off a, you know, a menu. So that, 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 that kind of first design was, was, was interesting, you know, and, and how that developed. But the customer kind of just took to it to a certain extent because it was in a really nice environment and you know we'd really really kind of gone with this kind of striking murals and this kind of dark kind of color palette and you know the browns and stuff like that and and, and, and lots of reds and oranges and really tried to, to kind of make it moody and, and romantic um obviously the customer felt relaxed instantaneously so straight away basically they were coming through that door and it was very very key to us that basically you walk through the door you feel relaxed that is, you know, that is the key part to us, and you know, we had to overcome loads of different cust different customers. I mean, I can I can, you know, reel off the different you know different kinds of, of clientele. I remember having a I remember having a Range Rover came over to us um, uh, from Sandbanks. You know, we were, we're in Boscombe, we're kind of in the red light district. You know, we're we're in this kind of area where basically no one's actually really you know apart from you guys and a couple of other really good independents just trying to kind of bring the area up. I mean, then we go back and talk about like BCIC and the Barg and all this kind of a generation groups and stuff like that. Um, and I remember them coming in, there was like four of them and they came in and they're kind of looking around and, you know, we're, we're quite good at what we do. Um, and at the time we were really kind of like plying our trade and they kind of walked in. We're kind of like, okay, first things first, it's that kind of like 60 second hello. All right, have we, have we maintained eye contact? Have we said hello? Have we smiled? Have we said we're going to be with you? Yes, we're busy, but it doesn't matter. They've got eye contact, yeah? And then they're kind of looking around going, oh, well, where's my table? You know, why haven't I been sat yet? Um, and then, they, you know, they get sat and, and they sit down. They don't really understand the menu. And then, you know, one of the, our servers goes over to them and sits down next to them um, and kind of goes, right, guys, how are you doing? You're right, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I, you know, guide you through the menu? And, um, you know, if there's any questions, let me know. And if not, you know, I'll, you know, I'll take you kind of your, your food order. And they're sitting there going, well, what is this person sitting next to me? Um, you know, why? Why are they not serving me? Uh, you know, from above kind of thing. And that kind of first, you know, we always said we're like relaxed service, you know, engaging service, high personality you know be really really good at what we do but be relaxed about it because I'm I'm a, I'm a you know you'll never find me in a Michelin star restaurant ever um, you'll never find me in a, a high brow restaurant really I mean I, I just I, I dislike the service style um, I'd much rather go and you know sit somewhere where I can relax and just be and, and, and be rather than basically someone kind of like sir can I get you this sir can I get you that sir can I get you this um, so we've always been kind of like against that 
And um, so anyway, these guys basically, you know, they've ordered and, you know, you could just see that something just kind of clicked in their heads, you know, halfway through, well, not even halfway through, probably a quarter of the way through. They go, oh, you know, we don't have to be pretentious. We don't have to basically be kind of like, oh, we're, you know, we're so, you know, whatever, so Bournemouth. Um, we can just relax. And they didn't leave until like midnight. Um, you know, they were absolutely, you know, pissed by the time they left. They were a really, really good time. And I, those guys still come to me now, um, you know, and they followed me around and they, you know, they, they come to all the restaurants. They absolutely love it. Um, but it was just crazy that it took them... You know, it's like breaking down barriers, and in, in, especially, and I think independent studio very well. Um, it's breaking down those barriers of kind of like, guys, you do not need to, you know, great service and service and great experience. You know, doesn't come about by basically being, uh, you know, trying to be pretentious or trying to have kind of highbrow service. It comes around from personality, through your service, really, really understanding the customer. You know, I, I'd, I'd rather have my my staff not in your face not there but as soon as that you want something you, they they've already know that what you want you know they've already come over with the extra bottle of wine and that's how, that's how it, you know you want you don't want to juice this ever but you don't want to kind of have this service where do you understand what i'm saying like that kind i, of I think if, for me it's the difference between um, thank you it's just a fresh coffee. Your team, they're really good, aren't they? They just keep playing you with fresh coffees. Oh. You're going to be so wired by the end of this conversation. I was um, saying earlier, I, I sleep like a baby. I, yeah, yeah, it's I true. Yeah, I don't. I, unfortunately, I'm on the water because by this time of the day, that's it. Coffee, mm. and I stay awake. Um, but yeah, no, I absolutely understand what you're saying, and I think it's the difference for me between customer service and hospitality. You know, yeah, customer yeah, yeah. service is is just you know you you get what you're given, and that that you know they're kind of maybe uh, sometimes a highbrow restaurant feels to me a little bit too much about service. Mm. Hospitality for me is kind of what you do with your with your friends and it is about mm. that kind of like fire pit outside in the forest and everybody kind of sits around and you you know you chew the fat and you break bread and you drink some wine or some mm. beer and the informality hospitality is uh, is how you make people feel yeah, you know customer service is what you do isn't for it? Them, so. yeah no i agree very much so that's um you know, the, so then the, the speed. Uh, you you went from Boscombe to uh, to Bournemouth fairly quickly mm -hmm. into the town centre, and and then and from then on in, you know, seemed to grow really fast. Can you yeah. just explain to me? I suppose going from one to two, and then what was the trigger point where you went? You know, did you always know this is going to turn into you know however many it did, or or when was the point when you went right here we go we're on a we're on a roll? I think uh, from from my point of view, basically when we first started, I said, we said five and five years. Um, now whether that was overly ambitious at the time. Um, or completely idiotic and seeing as basically we, we then realised we didn't actually know how to run a restaurant um, but yeah well, I said five and five because actually for me basically it was never about owning a restaurant it was about owning a brand it was about creating something special um, and so you kind of had that first that first restaurant Boscombe and Boscombe always did well um, but Bournemouth basically was a kind of you know a game changer for us um, we took a massive risk on Bournemouth I mean we kind of it took me a long time to persuade everybody that we were going to do it um not that such a long time as we did it a year after but but, it, but in the sense of you know it was a lot of arguments about getting there um but once we got there we'd kind of basically remortgaged everything that we had um you know it's, it's a difficult thing when you have a successful restaurant so you've got one and you kind of oh actually we've got a successful restaurant here then turning around to everybody and say okay we're going to roll the dice again um, on the on the second one, and we're going to basically, you know, raise funds against that one, and we're going to literally just plough everything into this one. Um, that was difficult to just, you know, to get everybody on board. But once we did get everyone on board, and we said, right, we're doing it. I mean, it was a game changer for us. It was I mean, a huge uh, jump size-wise, wasn't it? I mean, it was oh, yeah, the level I, of investment yeah. compared first one to second one must have been massive. Presumably. Well, it was. A, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Actually, because when you go back to it, they cost about the same. Because right. we had just no money anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, they cost about the same, and you know, we we, we picked a good unit um, had a lot of problems but we were able to kind of like you know jerry rig them for a while until we had some more money um, but we opened you know the first kind of first first month I think we tripled our turnover um, and that became a game changer and that became a kind of you know uh, a game changer for us we were in a whole new marketplace because actually even though we'd hit the Bournemouth market with Boscombe we weren't in Bournemouth um, and then basically you know after that Southsea came along um, and that was that was a really 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 good site for us um, again as well um, and then basically we then did Bath we did Bristol uh, we then came back here and we did Lilliput we did Ringwoods um, then we did uh, then we went on and we don't, um, don't worry it's not an exam yeah, yeah well, <laughs> somebody's going to be fact, done. fact yeah, yeah, checking yeah, yeah. Um, so but, but, but that bit then 
I suppose funding really, isn't it? You know, how did you go once you had the two? You at that point proven concept. You've proven you can run much bigger venues. You've proven that the concept was good. The customers loved it. Mm. Was that the point when you rent? Right, okay, you know, here we go. And and was that point where you needed to bring in external funding? Could you could you still wing it at that stage, or was it no, kind of like I, actually now we're going to need to it was get some money behind us? Yeah, I mean, basically, once we knew that we kind of proven concept and we kind of like were like you know actually it's ticked all the boxes. Um, even though at the time talking about boxes we didn't know those boxes were needing to be ticked um it was actually accessing finance and and i think i've only ever had one bank loan in the whole course of my hospitality career i guess um and you know i'm not going to say name the bank but it was you know a small teeny tiny bank loan it took me forever to get um they they took charges against everything um, and then they completely like hamstrung us basically to do anything. So it wasn't until we then came across um, Fincats um, and um, a, a great guy basically who kind of said, look, you know, we've got this new platform, very much like um, kind of crowdsourcing, but crowdsourcing on loans. Um, and he was like, no, well, we're going to do this. And I, I think I, in, I think our first loan was funded in eight minutes. Um, and I think it was it was something like 450,000, you know, back, you know, and then we were onto this kind of, okay, we can access finance now. And that was then where we really started going. Um, so is that like the funding circle kind of style? Is it that yeah, concept? So it's kind of like it's, not, it's not private investor. It is. It's all private investors, um, but they're investing uh, onto a platform to basically uh, borrow money. Uh, they kind of bid um, interest rates, essentially. Um, and, and, and that kind of funded us out for... Ooh, most of our sites um, and we then basically started to look at um, we started to look at then kind of equity um, trade deals um, external investment kind of a resetting of um, kind of of, of of the shareholding and management really um, um, probably about 2014 um, so probably about three years three three four years in was when we kind of all started going like well you know some of my business partners wanted to wanted to leave um, it was kind of okay well how can we finance that to be able to make that happen um, and you know I wanted to kind of go you know go further uh, we were kind of at essentially seven at the time and I wanted to kind of double the company size really um, and you know I knew that we needed a lot more investment into our kind of systems and our kind of you know our, 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 our office functions and our training functions and you know all, the, all these other things and so that's where that kind of started um, I think we went to a couple of abortive processes uh, very nearly did a trade deal um, with a brewery um, which was a very very good deal um, but that kind of like fell away by the wayside literally on the day of signing actually which was just crazy this is where the brewery um, were going to fund your the brewery were going to buy the whole business and then basically I was staying on so buying everybody I was then staying on um, you know, um, with, 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 you know, skin in the game and kind of, um, and then we were going to basically roll out the whole thing. And I think, um, they went and bought like some like 26 hotels the next day instead of buying us, which was kind of like, you know, no, literally, um, literally on the day. Yeah. You know, I, I, wow. went up, I went up, I think I went up there basically to kind of like, you know, finalize all of the final pieces of the deal. Yeah. Um, and just kind of like, you know, go through all the motions and, you know, we, and, we, and we sat in a, in a meeting in London and they kind of just said, like, Andy, I'm really sorry, but actually there's been a kind of change of heart. Um, um, you know, um, nothing to do with you guys, nothing to do with us. Like these guys who I was talking to didn't even know that there'd been a change of heart. It's just a board somewhere basically decided they wanted to do something else. Um, so that was kind of a kick in the teeth. And I think that was probably, what, 2015. Um, and... And, and the thing is, I think what a lot of people don't understand as well is when you go into equity um, and when you go into that kind of realms of, you know, high finance to a certain extent, um, it becomes a whole different ballgame. You know, business becomes completely different. Um, and, you know, due diligence is something like it's kind of, you know, it's a very, very painful process you go through. You know, it's a lot of documentation. You know, it's a lot of basically kind of, you know, it's, it's like 11 o'clock nights for like... I can't, you know, however long. So when that kind of doesn't fall off, you've obviously also spent a lot of money on that as well. Um, that was that, you know, that's difficult. So you're basically, you're back up and okay, right, okay, bring the team together again. Don't worry about it. Let's go and find another one. And and we did, we went on and we, we, we carried on that. But due diligence is, is, is a painful process. So if you, you, you kind of only ever really want to do it, you know, two or three times in your lifetime. Um, I've done it three times. Um, 
Yeah, it's painful. Mm. Um, so going through it with that first one, though, presumably that one fell through, but you'd done a lot of the work. So I guess it was a, it was a presumably a faster process. You've yeah. done a lot of learning, went out again. And your primary objective at that point then is to is to raise more money to expand quicker. But rather than a repayment, this is kind of looking at equity. So just a, a different a different approach. Yeah, prime, yeah, primary objective is yeah, essentially that. Um, it's basically right, raise raise more money to basically um, put more money into the business. Um, you know, doing a conduct kind of MBO uh, management buy. Out, um, and, and and essentially then basically you know roll out the company um, and, and see where it goes really um, and also basically it's another part of a business that you, you kind of have to do it's like a lot of people basically kind of say like you know Andy you know you've done a lot in business and all this kind of stuff and you know there's still so much for me to do um, which I haven't done but I mean one of the I think it was it was someone said basically the term I said well actually apart from a listing on kind of the aim and the, the stock exchange you've been through a lot of it um, and, and, and it's true and but yeah, that's what we were trying to aim for. And then basically, you know, the, the kind of, I think we started that process at the beginning of 2015. Um, so after this kind of the, this trade deal had fallen through. Um, and again, that's kind of, that's, you know, it's a long process because you, you're talking, you weren't just talking to one person then. It was then in a kind of process of like, we're talking to 20 or 30 equity firms. Um, and that's kind of like, I'm in London like every single day, basically essentially selling my wares um and um then you're basically so you go you go through this process you do kind of like right okay there's 30 or 40 people who are interested then that's down to kind of like oh actually there's 20 people interested and then it's kind of like there's 10 people that have made an offer and then it's down to like okay well we've accepted three and then it's kind of due diligence for three people and then it's then it's okay we've actually gone down to two and then it's like we picked one and then you know then that's gone and we and it was really 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 good um and we started that kind of concept basically of, you know, we did the MBO, we, we raised the money uh, and we started going down that route. Um, and then basically after that point, we were, so we're, we're now mid 2016. Um, and then we opened a couple more restaurants or we were, we were opening, we, it was a very busy year. I think we opened four restaurants, did due diligence on kind of two different deals um, and opened basically, you know, completely put in every single system in the company. Um, it was one of those, one of those years where she just kind of like, it's just, there's so much going on. I think we were doing, I think it was a year we, it was a year we turned around and said, we're not doing co-lounge on the beach this year um, because we were just like, we just do not have the, the, the bandwidth or the manpower or, or the will to be able to do it again uh, with all of this going on. Um, and then basically we um, we then did a merger um, and that by this point I'm getting to the stage where we're, we're kind of, I'm 10 years, well, nine, 10 years in now. Um, you know, my options are coming up. Um, it's kind of, I've got, I mean, I've, I've had this concept which we're sitting in now since, in my head since 2013, 2013, 2014. Um, and... Um, and I'm kind of getting a little bit itchy feet at the, at the time. Kind of, I want to do new stuff. I want to do other things. Um, equity and, and kind of finance and, 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 and PE houses. Um, I think I think everybody should experience it at some point because I think it is actually it makes you a much it makes you a much 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 better manager, a much better businessman in, in a lot of ways. I mean, as your business gets bigger, there are more and more and more rules which you have to follow and there are more and more things that basically need to be done. And so it, it, it is a good experience because it makes you very good. We set this business up now, it's in, you know, on the back of essentially 10 years of co. So you can imagine the kind of systems and what we're, what we're putting in place now here is mental, mm. you know, for the size of the business. But actually, it's kind of like, we're going to be auditors in year one. You know, so I'm going to audit our accounts in year one, which is mental, really. So that, I mean, if you kind of get that, that's, that's where... Yeah, so the I mean, I, I think it's fascinating. And I think that the difference then between, you know, what you started in hospitality and the guys in the Range Rovers and kind of, you know, looking after them to what you end up doing, which is, you know, being in London every day and negotiating deals and getting equity. Clearly, the, the roles are almost, you know, kind of... Uh, you know, it, the, 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 the link between they're almost indescribable there's such a such a big change did you enjoy one more than the other or did it just feel like a oh I don't know because I, I, I really enjoy both and you know I I put in quite a lot of layers into the business um, 
not to basically keep myself away from the customer, to allow myself to be nearer the customer to a lot of it, uh, to, to a certain extent. You know, we had lots of restaurants, but I put lots of management in underneath, uh, above those people, so that you know everything's being reported to me. So I'm, I'm still getting everything. So I've always wanted to be close to the customer, and I'm actually really enjoying being here at the moment because I'm literally, you know, I'm, we're in a restaurant right now. There's some customers sitting over in the corner, and it's really nice, basically being really close to it. And there's so many old faces that are coming in. Sorry. Um, at the moment, which is mental, like you know, coming in, it's like, oh, hey, how are you doing? You're right, guys from Boston, people who are basically I haven't seen for years. Um, but I, I've, I've, I've enjoyed both. I have to say, um, I, I really loved both sides of things. Um, I think it's it's a completely different. It's a completely different thing. Um, I love the customer and I love basically that customer service and I love being there. And actually a lot of people have seen me some, run nights, which I haven't run in years here. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, there's a, and that's really, really good fun. I have a, you know, it's, and it's really enjoyable. But the business side of it is, is, is also brilliant. But I think you have to be really, really careful not to lose sight of what actually makes your business. And what makes your business is your customer and, it, and, and your food and your service and your atmosphere. And, you know, every single manual or every single thing we've ever put in is basically following that mantra. It's like, these are the guys, this is where you make your money. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing over in London. This is where you make your money. Um, you know, this is where all your customers basically, if they're not happy, then your whole business is not happy. So that's, it's really key not to lose that. And I think that's where, why we put in so many structures in place to basically kind of, we had that trainee manager, we had that, you know, that, that, that customer service manager who basically responded to every single review, which I would then get a report on every single day. Um, and so it was, it was really trying to keep keep as close as you can, but also separate. But then you have to separate as well, which is this, the crazy thing as well. Because in business, then then you as as you're getting bigger, you then have to start um, separating yourself from from the different things because otherwise, basically, you can't control it. Um, so it is, yeah. It's, I mean, but both of them, everyone should experience both really if they can. Um, yeah. and I'm doing quite a lot of consultancy work now and like mentoring and stuff like that, which is really really good fun because actually I'm able to kind of turn around to these people and say, look, you know. Oh, I did that, and I mean, I've I've done more things wrong than I've done right, definitely. Um, and uh, it's really nice being able to turn around to these people and say, "Well, actually, if you do this, this is where it's going to lead." Um, and I did it this way, and it didn't work. But if you do it this way, I now know that that's the way it's going. So that's quite fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fa fascinating the uh, the journey. And then just before we come out of code, then presumably, you know, you've got your finance. The uh, the co-founders have, have have left the business. I presume that the the plan trajectory was to continue that journey to open more. Was there a trigger where you went, you know what, actually opening more co's is not the answer? And I haven't heard of any opening for a while. Was there was there a decision to actually pause that expansion yeah, process? Yeah, so we, 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 we did a merger. Um, so after we'd, we'd done the... Um, the main um, kind of MBO, we then did a merger with um, um, some steakhouse restaurants, so Buenos Aires. Then basically they, um, a merger happened and ultimately the, the decision then was to focus on bringing the Buenos Aires sites up to the same kind of level. So we had we kind of had 13, 14, they had six, so it was kind of like, well, I'll get them to 12. And by that point it was kind of like, well, yeah, but I need to, I want to expand as well. And you know, I, I want to keep on going with this. And we, and we haven't got that much, much more time with this. We've got to keep on pushing this now. Um, and so ultimately, yeah, it got to that stage where basically it kind of went, right, you know what, um, I've learned so much. And ultimately, I do also, I've always wanted to basically go back and own my own business in full, which is which is like, you know, like, like we have now. It's really, really kind of, it's quite special. Like to be able to make those decisions as and when you want them and how you want them. Um, you know, for me, basically, my mantra has always been this kind of atmosphere service, you know, customer value. Um, you know, to be able, you know, to be able to kind of go really, really focus in on that. Um, is really really important to me. So. so you're expecting to see Co continue to uh, open more though? I'm or? sure it will. Yeah, I'm sure it will. There's no, there's no reason why it shouldn't. Um, I'm sure I'm sure it will um, continue. But I think uh, from, from their point of view, the, they want to basically, you know, bring that Buenos Aires, you know, up to a certain level, potentially buy another one, um, you know, and, and, and build a kind of more of a restaurant group. And I'm sure yeah. there'll be more Co's. Yeah, definitely. Why, why wouldn't there be? I mean, they're, they're, there's no, they're still doing well. They're, you know, the, 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 the food, the atmosphere, the services. You know, they stick to the core principles there's you know there's nothing wrong with the brand at all so um but i think for me it's it, it's about basically wanting to i mean i've got three other brands i want to launch as well um i've got to that stage where i've, I've got these little ideas which i want to do and i want to be able to do different things and play with stuff and i wanted to you know and i wanted to be able to go and console and i've been offered loads and loads of kind of like you know directorships and non-execs over the years and it's kind of like you're not allowed to do that when you're in equity because that's it's very much 
you're on, you know, you're in, you're, you're in, you're in it with this kind of brand. And for me, I wanted to be able to do different things. And you know, I, I, I'm, I, at the moment, I'm kind of, you know, doing three or four different consultancies on top of, you know, doing Zim as well. So, um, and that's really exciting. And actually, I'm doing some stuff with my family, which is quite nice. And I'm doing some stuff with like some of my mates. And you know, being able to kind of put some money into like, you know, other, you know, different areas is actually really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Well, welcome back to the uh, yeah, to the back, you know, the, to the, the the independent owner. So, uh, have you noticed a change? You know, I, I, it seems to be in the last couple of years that the the, the sort of VC backed bubble a little bit has burst yeah. in some ways. In the fact, a number of big brands have either stopped their expansion, and I'm thinking of kind of Byro, Byron yeah. and Carluccio's and uh, Jamie's and all these guys who either stopped expanding or have actually contracted. Any thoughts on why? Have you noticed a difference coming back into the sector now? I suppose as an independent and and how it was kind of 10 years ago and do you think any of those changes over the last decade are the reasons why that whole sector is it seems to be having a bit of a pause well we don't do takeaway um you might have noticed i mean that no i mean the, the brand here will, does not do takeaway and potentially will never do takeaway um that's one of the big things uh, it's one of the big things that we had to cater with a, a you know a, a co a lot um people expected tie as a takeaway they don't expect southern african as a takeaway and you know you don't make any money on takeaway and i think this is it's a, it's a real common myth, isn't it? It's like, oh, delivery, basically, you know, and, and all of these, you know, Just Eat and everything like that, it's kind of sitting there going, oh, you know what, these guys, you know, they're really helping the independent out, they're really helping all these people out. And they're not in, in any way, shape or form um, by, by a country mile. I mean, if you're basically saying, like, well, I need to sell my food at 70% to make to make money, not to, or, or to even break even, let's be honest, um, and then delivery will come in and say, well, I'm going to take 33% of that, how can a business make money? Um, so, so obviously one is takeaway, and I think that is, you know, the Byron model. The reason Byron really, really went um, was because they built their business on the base of takeaway. You know, on the basis of the fact they had their restaurants, but on the basis of the fact they could also do their burgers, and then Deliveroo came in and basically just completely killed them, uh, and they just weren't set up. They weren't ready for it. Um, and then you've got the likes of Carluccio, which couldn't really ever grapple with that takeaway. Um, so that you know, it's been difficult for everyone. Um, and I think takeaway is one of the big ones. I think the VC back system, they expect too much. Um, they expect, they, they want, you know, it's, it's this, because they're backed by shareholders at the end of the day and, you know, you know, they've got to pay interest rates. And it's not, it's not anybody's fault as such, but basically they want more and more profit every year and they want it and they want it on sign, you know. And, it, and, 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 and when a business is basically you know, facing kind of a massive, I mean, as, as an industry, we're facing massive food pressures. I mean, I've just had a 5% increase on my wine, you know, last week. And you're sitting there kind of going, okay, guys, you know, that's a lot. Um, and, you know, okay, that's Brexit. And you can you can argue that basically it's, you know, the duty and all this kind of stuff. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's a price increase. It doesn't matter the reason. Um, and I think the customer still, the customer wants more. It expects more. It wants a better experience, um, which we should be giving, by the way. But they want all of that, but they want it at, you know, a couple of years ago's prices. And then they want to basically bring in the discounts and they want to basically be able to come here. I mean, you, you look at the lights of Pizza Express now, you don't you don't see that many discounts anymore. I mean, you, you look at kind of like Prezzo and stuff like that and they're all still doing their Groupons and stuff like that. But Pizza Express, you know, they, they've got their internal stuff, but they're starting to kind of pull, pull themselves away. I only say Pizza Express because I was in there earlier. Um, <laughs> because actually, ultimately, I, I think a good chain in... You know, in the right pl in the right place is good. Um, you know, Pizza Express for me, for example. You know, I I do like. You know, it's got. You know, it's got, it, I wouldn't go there for dinner, but I'll take my kid there because they do it really well. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I think for independence, there's a lot to play for now because the chains there are they they are wobbling. Um, and I mean, you can pretty much pick up a, any unit anywhere really now. Um, let's be honest. Uh, landlords are wobbling, so that's you know. That, that's starting to help people as well. Um, and so I think, you know, you've got this kind of takeaway thing that has hurt. Um, and ultimately, you can't fight a business that's willing to lose 10 million a month. It, it's just impossible to fight that. Um, it's kind of like, well, okay, but, but you just lost and, you know, and then raised 220 million at the end of losing 10 million a month. You know, it's just mental. Um, so I think that, you know, on the, on the one side, you've got takeaway. I think on the other side, you've got these kind of food pressures and, you know, 
the expectation of the customer, they want more and they want better, but they want it at least the same or less price is very, very difficult to deliver. Um, so I think that's one thing. And, you know, ultimately, basically, then you've got rising costs in, 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 in employees. I mean, I mean, we, we pay, you know, pretty much living wage here. If you're fully trained, you know, Zim member of staff here, you're kind of on 875, which is, yeah, which is bloody good. Um, and actually, ultimately, a lot of my, a lot of people I know, um, would end up actually getting paid less. So this, this kind of, what, what annoys me a lot, and I know this annoys you, but this idea that hospitality is not a career really annoys me because actually you can get paid some really good money in hospitality if you're in the right place at the right time. Um, so I think that's hurting. And that is, you know, I think there is a lot of this, the, the customer needs to start to understand mm. the cost pressures that are affecting a business. and you know, as you say, kind of walk where, you know, go down to that local independent and, 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 and eat there, but also understand that basically it's not just the independent, that's, you know, everybody is facing cost pressures. So all of this stuff going going on, like all the wine and, you know, all of our food costs just going through the roof is affecting everything. Yeah. Um, and I think the challenge with, with trying to offer that, you've got the deep pockets of the likes of Deliveroo and Uber who have, you know, $500 million of investment from, from the USA coming in and competing. But again, you often get the VCs who who have got so many units that a few loss making units in a town chucking in some vouchers discounting isn't going to kill them because they're looking at the group position and my concern is always yeah the impact on those few kind of independent restaurants that are nearby it does make it more challenging when the customer expectation is that they can buy their dinner you know they can feed two people for a tenner with a bottle of wine and and the guy around the corner is going yeah, you really can't the margins are super tight and uh, and then VAT as well I think in the fact that you know you yeah, go into I'm- a supermarket and buy a you know the ingredients to make a sandwich and there's no vat and go into a cafe around the corner and all of a sudden it's 20% more and the consumer's got no idea. That, that for me, is is probably the biggest... I mean, because ultimately, you, you, you asked basically what did I think had changed. Mm. Out of those things, I mean, apart from takeaway, all of, all of the other things in the industry have always been the same. You know, food pressures, food prices always go up. You know, I think a lot of people blame that and kind of like focus on that and go, oh, food pressures, you know, oh, we need to put our prices because of this. And I think actually it's like, well, just run your business better. Um, however, on the flip side of that, VAT, that is the biggest difference. So ultimately when I first entered the market, that was 15%, it's now 20%. Um, and I think that at 15%, I mean, if not less, um, I mean, we're the, bigger, we're the highest in Europe. Um, it's mental. Um, VAT is the biggest killer of our businesses because ultimately it's not a fair playing field. You know, not only do we have the whole cafe culture where basically, you know, you're, you know, you're going in there and you're paying an extra 20% and in the supermarket you're not. Um, also, you know, the, the, you're, we're buying in food, which we don't pay VAT on um, because it's generally dry stock um, but then we're having to sell it so you're not getting the you're not getting the benefit of what a lot of other businesses get when they pay VAT is that they get to claim it back as well um, so actually you know for, for an industry is the most ridiculous thing ever yeah. um, and it is the biggest I think um, it, it, that alongside I mean PAYE and stuff like that I think generally speaking you know, you're, you, you, you make your employees work however, however you need to make it work you'll make that work but VAT is a cost which basically you're paying it. Doesn't matter what you do. You can't change it. Um, they're militant. Um, it's that. It's that tax on revenue rather than tax on profit. I suppose challenge and the fact that yeah, you know, food. Yeah, maybe, not, maybe, any profit, so yeah, exactly. Tax, yeah. and, and maybe food was. Uh, you know, it's not a luxury. The reason there's a reason. Luckily, we don't pay VAT in the su- VAT on food in the supermarkets. Is that we all need food every day to live in mm. the same way that energy is at least five percent. So I think even if we have VAT, at least make it the lower rate because the way that we live now is you know you can pop into. Uh, a cafe for lunch or you can pick up uh, you know some takeaway food on the on the way home or pop into a restaurant and uh, and that's just the way we live so where is it used to be that you went out and ate once you know when I was a kid my parents would go out once a quarter and dress up really nice and, and stuff now it's part of the way we live it actually makes us more productive you know the kind of GDP kind of thing is we're all more productive if we can grab and go our food mm-hmm. and, and I think it's outdated I think the, well, the fact that you're you're you know treated as VAT is a luxury um, and charging it at 20% is outdated it's not the way we live well, so yeah if you can produce that like, it would be very like a sandwich, for example. I mean, what, you go to Marks and Spencer's a sandwich. What three pound fifty, four pound, something like that. Now, you know, buy a glass, you know, buy, buy, get some water and uh, you know, a bag of crisps. You, you, you spent a fiver, but you're still expected to basically be able to come into a restaurant and buy a sandwich for seven quid, six pound fifty, and have it served for you. 
and have free water and be doing all the other things with it. You know, and then you're not paying VAT. So it is, yeah, it's mental. Hmm. It's a challenge. Okay, so um, coming back into uh, the business, you mentioned that you'd had this concept since 2013, 2014. Mm. So uh, yeah, here we are back in Zimbri land. Co is gone. Uh, where did that inspiration come from? Were you, were you traveling? Was it a eureka oh, so moment? It, it, did you do a lot of research? It's or? a weird old one, actually. I mean, because I actually didn't realize that I did do it in 2013. Um, but funnily enough, actually, my brother, it was my brother-in-law and my brother both turned around to me on separate occasions and go, no, 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 do you remember, basically... Um, you were talking about that at your um, at your uh, engagement party, and I was like, "No, I wasn't." Yeah, 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 you were. You were massively engaged with. I've got I've got a couple of uh, Zimbabwean and friends, and we were all chatting about basically, you know, uh, Zim and all this kind of stuff. And I, really, I love that name. I love that uh, Zim. You, know, three, uh, you, you can tell Co Zim. You know, three letter words work for me really well. Um, you know, Co Tires Zim Bright. You know, it, it kind of all you know, it, 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 it all rhymes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and actually, you know, you look at my kind of my little black book of all my other concepts. They all they all kind of like, so they, all you know, they all go down the line. I'm going to start guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was back there, and then basically my brother then gave me a piece. Of, oh no, it was my mother. She gave me a piece of paper which had Zim written on it, um, on a design on a little restaurant, on a signed by me back in fourteen. So obviously I've been thinking about it for a while. But I mean, the amount of concepts that have gone through my mind have been, you know, thing. Um, but then ultimately I went out to SA and um, um, went over and, and kind of experienced some of the food over there. Um, a couple of my, my mates over here have been doing some rice, and so I was kind of like really excited about that and I was trying to look for a healthy fresh kind of concept which you're cooking something basically I mean with a bite it's good healthy food really when you think about it I mean you're not cooking with loads of oil there's no there's not loads of fat it's on a bite so you're getting this really kind of caramelised blackened kind of food but really soft and supple on the inside so it's really really nice and you're getting really good ingredients in there um but that wasn't enough because the braai, whilst it was really good, not everybody wants to have barbecued food all the time. You know, it's, it doesn't work, you know. And it was then I came across the poiki, um, which was like these little cast iron poiki pots. And then it was like stews and curries. And you know, then I was like, well, okay, well, you, you remember when we were younger, like you're always going to have a castle, right? Um, well, that's just a stew. Um, and, and so we've got this wild boar poiki and then we've got these lamb poikis and you know, we've got Zimbabwean dovies, uh, which is kind of like this peanut base and spinach kind of, um, you know, really good, lovely kind of like um, mixed stew um, and, and loads of chicken and stuff like that. And so that, that, that kind of brought a whole new dimension to it. So I'm going, okay, well, on the one hand, I've got these beautiful um, poikis. On the other hand, I've got this amazing bride which can give me some amazing steaks and it can also give me some like, you know, harissa chickens and, you know, it can give me like... Um, you know, salmon and sea bass and all this kind of stuff. So I can do anything on a braai. And I've got all the poikis, so I can do that. So they've got the two sides. Then I've got these salads, which are amazing. Um, they've got some really cool desserts. I've then got an amazing array of wine. Um, so all kind of kind of started. Is all the wine South African there? Not all of it. Um, basically 70, 60, 70% of the list. Okay. Um, I still wanted to have you know, I still wanted to have a nice Toscano on there. I still wanted to have, you know, you know, Pinot Grigio. Even actually, to be fair, although that one is actually from SA. Um, but yeah, so we've got loads of loads of different wines, but 70% of the list is is SA, Swaziland, uh, Stellenbosch, kind of stuff like that. Um, and sorry, uh, I sat back. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, I wanted to create this concept, and I was I had the kind of name Zims. So we had the Bri, we had the Poiki. I had some mates basically who were South African. I had some mates who were Zimbabwean that'd been out there. Everything was kind of coming into place, and. I remember going to a, there was a restaurant over in um, in SA which I sat down and I ordered loads of poikis and I said look actually this is crap um, and, I, and I was eating it and I was just like this is not you know it's not good food um, and it was in a kind of like you know the equivalent of our kind of like BH2 you know it was all the chains but the concept was brilliant. I was sitting there going, poikis, bright, you know. And so I then started really going into the recipes and really looking at different people and 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 kind of like gathering different ideas. Um, and that's where it was born, really. I, I love the earthiness to it. I loved. I wanted a concept that could work in the daytime and in the evening. So our brunch menu is, you know, really awesome. You've got bunny chow um, uh, for for lunch as well. But we've then done a, done a take for our bunny chow, which is essentially kind of. So a bunny chow is. Um, 
I was just about to ask that question. Yeah, 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 read, yeah. Read my eyes. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I now have a cheat sheet in the restaurant. But a bunny chow basically is a kind of um, uh, it's it's a curry basically over bread or in bread. So uh, traditionally, basically served in a kind of a half a loaf, and then basically the curry is on the top. They cut off the top. They put the, the lid back on um, the, the top of the uh, the loaf, and then basically you kind of just dig in. It's a really good fast food. We serve it over a cob here. Um, I've got a friend from Yorkshire. I think he'd love that. Anything in a bun. Exactly. Yeah, well, it's like, like well, curry yeah, in a bun. It'd well, be his, it's his dream. Well, it's, it's like, I mean, like you have like a Yorkshire pudding, right? You know, yeah. we, we love Yorkshire puddings. It's essentially basically bread with, with gravy and bread with curry, bread with stews. Um, and but then we do a kind of take on that with um, you know a brunch where we do a kind of scrambled egg and bunny chow with like you know you know uh, smoked uh, smoked salmon and stuff like that. So there's some really cool things you can do. It's really accessible. Uh, you've got kind of brookies, which are kind of like grilled sandwiches, which we have at lunch. You've got um, shakalaka, which is kind of like a tomato-based uh, relish ratatouille, like really spicy. Um, you know, there's just so much. Um, have you noticed a lot of change in, you know, we're just, just coming off the back of, uh, you know, veganary and dry January and all that kind of stuff. But have you noticed a change in the, particularly, I suppose, the, the kind of the plant-based and the health conscious and all that kind of stuff compared to a decade ago? Is that a real thing or yeah, is, that, I mean, uh, is that a myth? As I say to you, like, you know, fresh and healthy, that's, you know, the, you know, however much I love Thai, it's not exactly the most healthy food in the world. Even though people do think it is, it's not the healthiest food in the world. Um, and I wanted to find something that actually was good for you healthy food and stews and meats and sea and, and, and fish and vegetables are good for you food uh, but they're healthy for you and if you're doing it in the right way it's so important now I mean veganism I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, allergens, again, you know, let's, you, you talk about another problem facing the industry, allergens. I mean, it's just mental. Um, and, you know, however much basically I find, you know, because the, 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 the legislation is so, is moving all the time, you just don't know where you are at or, or what you're meant to be doing. And, you know, you follow the kind of EHO rules and you, and, and you have your allergen books and you have all your allergen stuff. And then five minutes later, someone's changed something and they actually want more. I mean, the amount of different knives you have in a kitchen now for, for allergens. I mean, it's the cost to a business is is mammoth, mm. mammoth. Um, I think I was in a restaurant the other day, and literally every dish had sulfuric acid written next to it. And I was like, when did that become a selling point for a dish? And I never, yeah. But literally, yeah, you, you do start. People obviously interpret the rules in different ways. Mm. But yeah, if you list well, every in London now, which is turning around bit. saying they won't save you. Right, but that's the easiest. If, way you've, got, if you've got, oh, if you've got an allergy, if you've got an allergy, I'm sorry. The best go, way is go, 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 just going to stop selling food. No, no, honestly, like you even sign a disclaimer. And yeah. you say basically whatever you eat is, you, yeah. you know, if you die, it's That's not always been fault. oysters for me as well. I've yeah. always thought you should sign a disclaimer if you eat oysters. It's like it's oh. oyster roulette sometimes. Yeah. Like, there's nothing <laughs> Which we can do. Which way am I going to go? Um, uh, if but those oysters but it is really important. And, you know, it's one of those things that basically obviously a lot more people are suffering from allergens. Hmm. Um, so obviously that, that does need to be sorted. Um, but yeah, veganism, you know, gluten-free, um, all of this, you know, businesses have to understand as well. I mean, a very cautionary point. Businesses have to understand how important it is. I mean, we are militant here. I mean, you'll even look around the restaurant now and there's like little signs everywhere, basically like, you know, ask a server if you've got a food allergy. Uh, you know, all of the staff are trained. You know, everybody's basically, you know, uh, goes through a compliance. And that's the good side of it, I guess. It, which it is. Um, um, but a lot of people basically potentially don't understand a lot, especially for an independent. You know, I've, you know, if you ask about what, you know, what is different, I've come from that kind of, you know, you know, code where we've gone through all the emotions and you've got to the much more kind of compliantry kind of, uh, you know, regulatory kind of part of a business. And independence not there yet. No. You know, it's like the whole kind of prep monje um, mm. uh, thing where basically they, 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 they used every single store as a sandwich store so they didn't have to do the labeling. You know, it's a very important thing for people to basically get onto. And every time I advise anybody at the moment, the first thing I say is I want to see your allergen book. Have you done it? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what? I'm going to show it to you. No, it's not good enough. Go and do it again. You know, it's really important. Yeah. And it is a shame when the rules and the regs get in the way of kind of hospitality. It's a shame when the government regulates to the point where you've got to list every single ingredient on a dish. Because chef will be in the kitchen and he'll be tasting a dish and he'll be going, oh, I need to chuck a little bit more sugar or a little bit more salt or it needs a little bit of this. Mm. And, and and when you're trying to, you know, it'd be really a shame if, if it becomes so formulaic and dull that unless you know the exact number of grams of salt in a dish or the exact percentage that, that chef can't literally just kind of taste it and go, no, it needs a little bit more of this or it needs a little bit more of that. I'm going to put a little bit more vinegar in. I, you know, I, I, I do get concerned that we just all end up dying of boredom because we're so formulaic but anyway we haven't got time Andy to go into all <laughs> yeah, of that no. um, 
this time round again, as you know, I suppose compared to ten years ago, any advice for the, well, hospitality has a pretty bad reputation for kind of family life, work life, life balance, working weekends, working nights. Obviously, you were twenty one, you, you know, young and free, and uh, uh, no, you did no, it the no, first no, time. But even twenty one. Well, but now you've you know married with kids and stuff. Mm. How how what do you say to people who want to go into hospitality, want to work in the industry? But also, kind of want to have a family and want to want to you know, have a holiday. I, I, I think it's totally doable. I mean, I was with my wife. Um, she wasn't my wife at the time, but before Co even started, um, you know. And you, you find a way of making that work. And yeah, it's stressful at times. And you know, but you know, my wife understands that I have to be you know at work when I need to be at work and you know but then I'm also with the kids when I need to be with the kids and you know I've got two I've got two kids now um, who I absolutely adore I've got a four-year-old and a, a six-month-old and it hasn't stopped me running a business and it hasn't stopped me basically you know doing you know doing hospitality and I don't think it I, I think ultimately with all these things it's all about being proactive about you know I, I how do you how do you put it? I mean, I've got staff basically, or, or had 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 staff, who who sit there and kind of go, um, oh, I can't do hospitality because you know I'd never get any time off, or I'm always working too hard, or you know, and you're sitting there going, well, you're a GM, and if you actually just kind of took a little bit more proactive approach to your structure of your your working week and actually gone, you know what, I'm going to basically make sure that I do do finish all of this on Monday um, and then I'm going to structure my two days off. You know, I always found the time to have my two days off or, or to have time off. Um, I just think it's it's about structure and it's being about proactive. Yeah. I mean, I've been very militant about a lot of things, but ultimately at the end of the day, you know, you know I own the business, I suppose, so it's always been we've got to make it work it has to make it has to work so it's not just you know oh i'm going to work but i think you can do it. i think there is a there's a good career path for it and you know if you get to the right place it is hard in the middle it is hard in the middle where you're kind of like being the trainee manager that's always going to be difficult but if you excel at it then you won't be there for very long if you get what i mean so no i do i think the the you know for me the big exciting thing about this industry is that it's full of creatives. You don't need to be particularly academic. You don't need to be a mathematician. You don't need to have done, you know, hugely well in the conformist, put your hand up, sit in a line kind of education system that we've got. If you can look someone in the eye, have a bit of charisma, uh, fundamentally be a good human and you like other human beings, the speed that you can be developed in this industry, I think is brilliant. Yeah, so exactly. I really mean, fast. And I think you've got a lot of chefs. I mean, I'm dyslexic um, and... You know, always have been, obviously. Um, you know, learned how to spell entrepreneur very, very recently. You know, um, but you know, most not of many my, people to be. I don't think that's a classification for, for food dyslexic. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think nobody can spell entrepreneur. Yeah, um, but I mean, most of my chefs are dyslexic. Yeah. You know, most. You know, it's, it's one of those things where like a lot of creatives here, because ultimately, it's somewhere where they can go, where they can kind of explore themselves as well in in, in hospitality. I think yeah. it's. Um, it's an interesting one. And, and whilst we're on the subject of uh, you know, hopefully inspiring other people to come into what fundamentally, I know you love it as an industry, mm. I love it as an industry, although I see its challenges and, and, and I think it's going through a, a really kind of interesting period at the moment, um, it's fundamentally brilliant, you know, compared to being sat in an office behind a screen, you know, it's a really good, buzzy, vibrant environment. Um, do you ever hear any advice, though, uh, to people, either, you know, to managers or to people who are looking up at setting their own business, do you ever any hear advice which you think, that's just rubbish you know oh, that literally is lots garbage anything that springs to mind where you kind of end up stepping in and you can't help yourself and you go don't listen to that oh no nothing that springs to mind but i mean uh, i think for me i i do do quite a lot of mentoring now as i say and i do lots of consultancies for that and you know time and time again basically people go oh i want to go and set up my own business i want to go and set up my own restaurant and it's like it's easy you know and and then and it, it's not. Uh, and if you set up a restaurant, basically, and you're a chef, you know, let's be honest, it's, you're going to have a really difficult time of it. And, and, I, and I think, I can't think of anything that really that springs to mind right now that basically is kind of like absolute crap. But there is a lot of it out there. Why specifically if you're a chef? Because I think basically you're, you're, you're passionate about your food and you're passionate about basically cooking and you're passionate about that. You just don't have a clue about what the cost of all of that is. Um, and, and more often than not, basically, you know, I mean, I sit there and, you know, my chef basically, you know, will, you know, with our first ever menu that we will have or had here, you know, oh, guys, it's absolutely, you know, this is amazing. And I was going to go, yeah, but yeah, I'm going to have to sell it at 40 quid just for, to make any money. Um, and I think that's very, very key. I mean, people just don't understand... And that's for me is people do not understand the how much money 
you actually make in hospitality. I think a lot of people think we make a fortune. Um, you know, if, if you make, you know, 8p in a pound, you're doing well, you know, 10p in a pound. In the good know. old days. In the good old days, yeah. <laughs> and ultimately, you know, I can, there's so many failures out there, um, which is just because of bad practice rather than, you know, just not knowing what to look for you know that you know their wages are running at 45 50% their you know their food margins running at 60% you know there's there's more drink going out the door than they're actually buying in um friends at the end of the bar friends at the end of the bar you know I mean I pay to come to my own restaurants you know just just to cover that cost and also because it I want I don't want anyone to ever think that they can just come in and have a free meal um and um you know although lots of people do but um no and ultimately you know, understanding your OPEX and understanding all of your kind of like your running costs and, you know, your rental and, and how much that really should be of your turnover. And yeah, there's so much. And I think people go into this industry sometimes and they're kind of, oh, well, I've got loads of money or oh, I've got some money and I just kind of buy a restaurant and I'm just going to open up and I'm going to cook really good food. And then they're kind of like surprised a year, two years down the line. We're like, oh, well, I'm going to have to close it. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, but you didn't, you cooked great food and it was fantastic, mate, but you, didn't, you weren't making any money. Uh, and then you didn't pay your VAT. And I was going to say, or you VAT. presume you are making a fortune. Yeah, and you, you presume you are, then you get your VAT. And then the VAT bill comes, uh, yeah. and you go, and, this, oh, and again, it's, you know, it's massive. You know, yeah. we've, we, you know, we've, you know, you, you sit there and you kind of like, and then they've run up all these debts because you haven't paid all of these things and you just haven't yeah. really been, there's no control. And I think um, that's really, you know, for me, I'm, I'm very much about control, about about un, and, and making sure that every line we understand and is wrecked. And but then I think that that a lot of that is from the ten years of yeah. you know. Of, and, of the and I think that's what we do need to learn. You know that that independent hospitality sector that, that I believe so passionately about has to understand. It's got to it's got to kind of be able to compete. It's got to be able to get the systems, the efficiency, uh, know the numbers. It's got to get all that in line to survive. Otherwise, the big guys will always do that better. Yeah, because and it's got, not a lot of exposure. numbers. Not it's not. just understanding yeah, those numbers. Yeah, you know? very much so. I mean, especially yeah. when you're running the wrong restaurant. I mean, you yeah. sit there. I mean, and not in a horrible way, but you know, we're you know we're running one restaurant now. You know, it's kind of like you know, there's a lot, but there's a. It's very very easy to understand where we are. Mm. Um, you know, it's, that's quite quick. It, you know, the, what, what the stuff that we're putting into the into the business is a, is, is 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 really hard work because you're, you're putting in ten years of like you know experience into a restaurant to make it sure it's perfect before you roll it out, um, which obviously is you know you know the kind of the, the aim. But understanding those kind of five or six criteria and understand that basically you know that twenty percent that you're making has to has to basically go into another bank account and it has to go to the VAT man and all this kind of stuff is just. Yeah, mm. Independents have to understand it because if they don't, they can't fight. Yeah, no, it's true. So uh, you've you've mentioned it there, and uh, when's the next one? What? How many? Eight and a half weeks in? I know how <laughs> fast you move, yeah, how yeah. itchy your feet are. You um, don't tell me it's already being built. Uh, what's it's next? not already being built. Um, it's under negotiation. Uh, so we've got like two under negotiation at the moment. So okay, uh, we're just kind of like just playing around locally. Um, yeah, one's local. Um, one's a little bit far afield, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm still going to kind of keep around this area. Um, okay. I, I, I want to kind of, I said, well, we kind of said basically, you know, we wanted to get our team in place and get that right. Um, that's nearly there. Um, we, we kind of drew a line, line in the sand and said basically all of our compliant regulatory stuff had to be in by the end of February. Um, uh, so yeah, by the end of February, which is basically nearly there now. Um, we wanted to get three, three you know, um, Three, three periods of kind of management information under our belt to kind of see like, you know, are we actually hitting what we want to be hitting? And that's kind of like, that's on, on course. And so I wanted to get those things kind of done first. We kind of said, we're not going to do anything until that's ready. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, we're it's ticking the white boxes. People are loving it. Um, you know, it, it, yeah, it's it's, it's going to be um, something I will. So, out where do people go to uh, to find out more, either about you or about Zimbrai? Um, about me, I uh, just you know <laughs> just search, search on Google and see what you can find. Um, only good um, stuff. Yeah, only good stuff. Um, but yeah, no, www.zimbrai.co.uk. Okay. Um, B-R-A-A-I. Um, and that, that's basically where all of our stuff is on there. Um, you know, I've got my own consultancy firm, as I've said. Um, that's Lion Consultancy. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, I'm always around. Um, genuinely on Facebook or wherever. Um, you know, we've 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 
we've got quite a good following so far. And yeah, perfect. Well, I've always wondered what your secret is because the speed that you achieve stuff is amazing. So hats <laughs> off to you. I now get it's coffee because I can't believe how many people have bought you coffee while we've been sat here. So uh, I drink more water, coffee, and alcohol. It's basically yeah. yeah and, and if I don't have coffee, I, I kind of. I, I have problems. Um, yeah. So, Next uh, time I, I need to open another eight restaurants in nine weeks, I'm going to come and see your coffee supplier. Um, but, you know, congratulations on what you've done. It's amazing. Cheers. I can't wait to come back and see. I, I, I'll be exhausted just watching you. Uh, but to come back in a year's time and, and well, see really what you've achieved. You, I haven't seen you ages. Be good. So, so, no, it's um, been too long. So uh, good luck with it. And, no, uh, yeah, we we'll catch up again in, uh, well, we, we're personally sooner. But yeah, maybe no, on the podcast yeah, we're, we're doing, much well, Yeah, whenever you want to meet. Perfect. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. So there you have it. You have reached the end of another episode of the Humans of Hospitality podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please go and visit our website, humansofhospitality.co.uk for the show notes and extra episodes and information. And whilst you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter and to receive free materials all about the humans behind our incredible industry. Lastly, if you could subscribe, rate and review this podcast, you will be massively helping me out and it would be hugely appreciated. Thank you so much. We'll be launching another podcast in just seven days time. Cheers. Cheers.